To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. And this is a special Social Work Month edition, and we're featuring our New York State chapter leadership. And we have with us uh, first Mr. Michael Capiello. He's an LC. SWR. He's currently the president of the National Association of Social Workers, New York State Chapter Board of Directors. Mr. Capiello received his MSW from Hunter College School of Social Work in 2000, and he practiced as a psychiatric social worker in Westchester County at two university medical centers. He is now a school social worker for the New York City Department of Education and has a private practice. Uh, He's been a member of NASW since 1998. Michael the state's advocacy and government relations committee and then was the westchester division director he holds a ba in psychology from hobart and william smith colleges and an aas in social sciences from suny Cobleskill. michael was a staff social worker in the department of child and adolescent psychiatry at two university hospitals in the new york metropolitan area serving families and clinics inpatient units and school programs during the past nine years he has specialized in school social work first in a 1,000 student middle school in an affluent suburb and then in an inner city special education high school for students with complex psychosocial and learning needs. In 2014, Michael served as the chair of the New York State Social Work Task Force. This task force was responsible for developing the widely disseminated and effective New York State Social Worker Survival Kit. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Michael T. Capiello, welcome to the show, Michael. Silas, thank you so much for that introduction and for having me. You're welcome. And then someone who's not a stranger to these airwaves and certainly not a stranger to myself, you know, I have to say that since she came on board that the New York State chapter has uh, skyrocketed. And obviously with her collaborating with the Board of Directors leadership, um, great things have happened. So I want to again introduce Dr. Samantha Fletcher. She's been at the helm of the New York State chapter since September of 2019. And she earned her master's degree in social work in 2019. 2014 and a PhD in social work in 2018 from the University at Albany School of Social Welfare. Prior to her tenure at the University of Albany, she worked for over 15 years in human services, including a family law firm, a crisis pregnancy center, an Islamic school, as well as a personal training business. After earning her PhD, Samantha serves as the assistant dean of academic programs and the director of admissions in the School of Social Welfare at the University at Albany. Samantha is a member of the Cherokee Nation and strongly embraces Native culture and is a fierce advocate for BIPOC justice and equity. She has been instrumental in taking the chapter to new heights, especially since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic and beyond. Dr. Fletcher, her staff, and the chapter board of directors have worked to consistently serve and support the NASW member and non-member social workers during all phases of the coronavirus pandemic outbreak. She also has been a loud advocate for racial justice and recognition and respect for, for the social work profession. Dr. Fletcher was a featured guest last year during our 26-week COVID-19 special podcast series. 
It is my pleasure to welcome her back to our show. Welcome back, Dr. Samantha Fletcher. Thank you so much, Silas. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So uh, the first thing I'd like to do is to have both of you just kind of give a little preview of, you know, your position. You know, obviously, Samantha, as executive director, and you've been on before, but there might be somebody listening this time that did not hear the last uh, broadcast podcast. And so if you could just tell uh, our listeners a little bit about um, your role and what you do, and then, Michael, I'll give you a chance to do the same thing, and then we'll kick the discussion off from there. So, Samantha, tell our listeners a little bit about the role of your role as the executive director at the chapter. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> so I was, what do I do as executive director? I, I, that, the reason I'm stumbling, and that's a hard question, is because Really, the way I see my role is you you mentioned my my native culture, and I run the chapter through native culture and uh, native tribal culture. And what I mean by that is in my culture, it's really almost like an inverted triangle with hierarchy. We don't have a lot of hierarchy, and um, people are where they belong. So like wherever their strengths are. So the way that plays out the chapter is, that we have a staff and the staff members are responsible for their area of the chapter and I'm there to support them. So they are um, experts. They're experts in their own area, not me. And I go in and support them when they need support and, and assist them that they're the experts in their own area of the chapter. And it's the same for the board of directors. The board of directors, I, I'll let Michael talk more about that, but I'm really there to serve the board of directors as well. And like, however, I can support them and their mission of really setting the programming goals for the chapter and, you know, other goals for the chapter. So I do a lot of everything is the answer um, of, you know, I, I, I know, I won't say I'm, I'm not the expert in everything we do at the chapter, but I know a little bit about everything we do so I can support people. You know, sometimes I'm going in and I'm taking uh, meeting minutes. I have two committees that I'm the staff person. That's my role. I schedule the meetings. I take the meeting minutes. And it's really my job to listen to the members and find out what they need and then work with the team to try to make sure that happens. It's a membership organization and the members should be the ones running the chapter and and really talk to, you know, whatever they need is what we need to need. So that's the way I view my role is to support the, you know, the staff, my colleagues on staff, the board of directors, and and our volunteers and our members of our chapter. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for, for breaking that down like that. I uh, appreciate that. And from, from all signs that I can see and, you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, as a member, uh, a very connected member that you, you, you've been doing a phenomenal job. You know, I've, I hear nothing but high praises about um, the way the chapter um, has really taken on a new life since you stepped on. And that's, that's me relaying to you what I'm hearing from other members downstate here in Suffolk and Nassau County. So, um, and I, again, I, I, every time I talk to you, I always tell you, thank you so much for all that, that you've done and continue to do to keep the New York state chapter in the prominence that it, that it's always held. And, and, uh, thanks to you and, and great leadership, like we're getting ready to hear from, you know, we're, we're taking our rightful place within the NASW nationally as, as one of the capstone chapters. So thank you for that. And obviously you would not be so successful in your job if not for the support 
and the cohesiveness of working with the state chapter board of directors. And so, Michael, tell our listeners about what it is your role is and to give an overview of the board of directors in general so people can understand. And then we'll talk about some of the initiatives that the New York State chapter has taken upon itself to initiate and how both the executive director and chapter staff and the board work together to make that happen. So tell our listeners about your role as board president and what the board does, and then we'll continue from there. Thank you so much, Silas. I was thinking because it's... uh it is the partnership between the membership, certainly you as a member and me as a member, within the organization, and we partnership with our staff, and we're very grateful for the leadership that Sam has brought to the New York State chapter. And she talked about Native culture, and I think one of the things that we've talked a lot about is within the social work profession is servant leadership, and that, you know, as social workers, we serve others, and within our membership organization, we're, we're serving one another. My role as New York State Chapter President is an elected position, and we encourage all members. Uh, the nominations have been open, and we encourage people to, to nominate others and to seek office within the organization, and that'll be coming up quite shortly. But we have social workers represented from all over the state of New York, uh, all the counties in upstate, the Hudson Valley, through Westchester County, where I am, and of course out through Long Island. The only areas that we don't officially represent are the five boroughs of New York City. So it's a lot of social workers and a lot of interest. And uh, one of the things that I talk about as the New York State chapter president is that we represent a range of social work practices uh, in a very diverse geographic area, from the suburbs of one of the lar- of the largest city in the world. Uh, from Westchester and Long Island is certainly up the Hudson Valley, but all the way up to the Canadian border and all the way out um, to Niagara Falls and all the little communities in between and all of the smaller cities. Um, so it's a practice of social work in very rural communities, suburban communities, and certainly larger cities. And uh, within that, it's just an opportunity to serve a lot of very different communities. Um, and to come together across this really enormous state of New York. Mm. Okay. So that's a, that's a large part of, of our vision and our work. And I guess the other thing that I would share, as the New York State chapter president, um, the two largest chapters in the state of in the United States are New York and California. Um, and so there are many chapters across the United States that look to New York uh, for leadership. I was on a conference call today, uh, with the leadership in Washington and with some of the chapter presidents uh, from other parts of the United States. And again, their their concerns are sometimes in urban areas, but oftentimes in rural and remote parts of the United States and how, um, how we can provide mutual support in a lot of different areas on issues of health, uh, certainly during this pandemic. But the racial awakening that's happening across the United States. And that has been two of the most pivotal areas that we've been focusing on, not just in New York State, but really across the United States. So uh, as a representative of New York, I I share a role of New York State, but also as a representative of being a chapter president 
um, one of the chapter presidents of each of the states we, uh, across the United States. Okay, thank you for that. And you just brought up two points that's been at the forefront of every aspect of our society for the last uh, 14 months and that has been the pandemic and, and the racial protests. Uh, you know, I was a uh, you know participating back in August in a uh, an interview, and the the, the host uh, called it the three P's: the, the 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 protest, the pandemic, and the politics. So, as the leaders of the New York State chapter, both of you have seen to it that the chapter has embarked on a lot of different initiatives to address all of that. And I could pinpoint certain things, but I want you to um, both take a few minutes to tell listeners, how has the New York State chapter addressed those three issues, the pandemics, the protest, and the politics? And I know that both of you have some similar viewpoints and some different things that your roles have allowed you or called you to do. So talk about New York State chapter. I know there's a lot going on, um, but I want you to tell our listeners some of the things that have been taking place in the last uh, 12 to 14 months to address those three specific areas. Okay, I'll jump and in. You, I was going to say, do you, want to, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, I'll jump in and then Michael can, can fill in what I miss or add his perspective. And, um, I, you know, Silas, I do want to let you know that Michael and I meet every week and we communicate several times a week. So we, it really is a partnership uh, of like running, you know, running things by each other. You know, sometimes it's like, like peer support, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like telling each other about our day. Yes. So, um, I do want to, you know, I wanted to bring that up that, that we're very much in communication, uh, like all the time, but all right. So you talk about the three P's. The first thing that, that popped up was the pandemic. I had been here six months when that, ha- when it happened last March and we immediately had to move everything online and the way that we viewed that as a chapter is how do we support social workers? Because social work practice changed in in a week. There was a one-week period in March to where the governor shut everything down. And every day it was a different percentage. So it was like 80% of people can come into the office and 60% of people can come into the office. And then by the end of the week, everything was closed. So as you can imagine, like we were being inundated with calls and emails. What do we do? How do we practice? Uh, Like what's happening? So during that time, there was a ton of work. Like, like how do we get information out um, to our members? Um, and, you know, a lot of, I had only been here six months, so I hadn't had time to really form relationships with the governor's office and, like, all these other offices. So it was a lot of hours of putting together resources for the members, us trying to figure out what was going on and getting that information to the members. And then changing everything we do to an online platform, which we did mm. rather quickly. By the end of March, we, you know, we had done all of those things. And so now I'm doing a weekly email to the members and, you know, letting them know what's going on with the vaccine rollout, who's eligible, how to get their, their you know, vaccine if they're eligible. And, you know, the rollout hasn't been great across the whole country it there's been issues and it's the same thing in new york state so you know talking about those issues as well like here's some issues with the you know the vaccine and and all of that so that has been 
the pandemic. So with the protests, my background is in race work. I, I always say that's my life's mission is racial justice is my life's mission. And I've been doing race work for years by the time I came to the chapter. And because really my my first several months of the chapter was trying to get, like, build. I always said, we're building the basement. We're building the foundation so that our chapter can, can support other initiatives. And it takes months to do that. And it did take months. So we hadn't implemented any race work when George Floyd happened. So when George Floyd happened, it was clear uh, immediately there was a moment within the racial justice movement. Mm -hmm. The movement has been going on for hundreds of years. So we've called it different things. We've called it, you know, the abolitionist movement. It's been the civil rights movement. It's been the Black, Li Black Lives Matter movement. There's been a lot. The movement is there. The movement is always there. But George Floyd created a moment. And there's been several moments within the movement. Mm -hmm. uh, Selma was a moment. And when you have a moment within the movement, it's a time that you can pull in other activists. You can get people activated and you can pull in allies. Uh, but it's with the understanding that the moment ends. It always ends. So you get as many people as you can during the moment. So I really wanted to implement a racial justice plan in the chapter. I didn't want to be I didn't want to react to George Floyd. I wanted to be proactive and put in racial justice work that would stay beyond the moment mm -hmm. at the chapter. So that's what we did. We developed, we have like, there's six things we implement at the chapter to, to address racism, systemic and structural racism. One is we have a resource page. So if you're wanting, you know, you're a social worker, you work with kids, you want to talk to them about race, go to our races, race, uh, race resource page. And you can find information about how to talk to kids about race at different ages. Um, so that was one thing. We uh, have one that's called, like, act, like it's an action part of it. And that's ran by Evelyn Williams, who's our policy coordinator, where she works with people on how they can make change where they're at. So we have a lot of seasoned social workers who go to that. And she's getting ready to schedule something for March to talk about how they can um, do some political action around race. So that's one thing. Um, we have what we call the Racial Justice Forum, and this is based off the work that I did with my partner, Don Knight Thomas, at U Albany when we implemented race work into the university and specifically the School of Social Work. And this is, uh, it's work for self-reflection, and it's practice to have dialogue about race and for people to get comfortable being uncomfortable and so it's mixed race dialogue each group is facilitated we've divided into small groups everything i'm telling you is open and free to any social worker whether they're a member or non-member no matter where they're at this is a resource the only thing we charge for is we have a continuing education series because education is part of anti-racism work, racial justice work. Mm -hmm. So we have an anti-racism training every month. This training is always free for New York State members, NASW New York State members, always free. We have um, some of them that are free for everyone, any social worker. And then the other ones we charge for other chapter members and non-members. That's the only thing we charge from with all our race initiatives. Another race initiative we have, we call 
creative expression. This has been the last thing to really get off the ground. Yes. Uh, but it's getting off the ground now. We have some interns working on this. And this is really using, you know, social media, different platforms to talk about race and racial justice. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you about is the revolution. The revolution came about in July. And um, we had one of our board members reached out, and it was actually one of our student board members. And she wasn't, you know, we were talking about things that were going on in the country, things that were going on at NASW. And through this conversation, we came up with the idea of the revolution of let's just change the profession. That there's a lot of things we can't control in society, and there's a lot of systemic racism we can't control and other systems, although we can certainly try, uh, but we can control social work. So let's just work to change the profession. And that was our goal from, from day one. And then we set up like a system on how to do that through town halls and work groups. It started in July and it started with a couple hundred people from New York State. Our January revolution, we had 3,500 people join wow. us through our Zoom meeting and through Facebook Live. And then we've had 7,000 people watch the video. So this is now international. We we have social workers from all over the world joining the revolution. And it's a very powerful platform. Uh, At the town halls, we ask the only black, indigenous, or people of color from other groups, um, Asian, Arab, Latinx, that they speak and they're speaking on specific topics. So we've talked about NASW New York State. Like, we can't ask anyone else to change unless we change at our chapter. We've talked about schools of social work, and right now we're on clinical social work. And so you just have social workers from all over the world talking about how racism impacts their practice. And it's really, it's another level of support. Like, you know, everyone who speaks gets support from you know, other people that are there. We have, we had one person in January say, this is my second, you know, town hall. And she's like, I feel like it's church. She said, I felt like I'd gone to a revival, like it's healing. (laughs) So, you know, we're working toward long-term change. We're looking to change the profession systemically and structurally. But even while we're doing that action, it's happening. Action is happening in places of employment and in school. So, that's where we're at with our racial justice work. And then you asked about the politics. Yes. So what we did is we had one of our interns, um, Olivia Knox, uh, she built a voting webpage with uh, Elise, our communications associate. And they put together a voting webpage and we got, you know, information out to the members, like, here's how you register to vote. Here's how you vote during COVID. Here's how you make sure they received your vote. If you did a mail-in ballot, Um, we did a social media campaign. We did some CE trainings on voting and we did a chapter chat on voting. So really getting information out to our members about the importance of voting and how to use their voice. And I'm going to hand it over to Michael to, to kind of fill in any gaps and add, add his thoughts to this conversation. 
Okay, well, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, absolutely, uh, a lot of what you mentioned. I know the revolution has been picking up a lot of steam. I had no idea that it was uh, to that magnitude that you just mentioned. So that's a, a great tribute to the New York State chapter taking the, the leadership mantle and being at the helm of that. So, all right, Michael, please uh, let us uh, hear your viewpoint, your perspective, and anything else you'd like to add or and share as well. Thank you so much. And, and I'll jump in with the protest. Um, to go back to that. And if, if you want, we can sure. have more of a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, Sam, thank you for your leadership on the initiatives as well. And, I, and as you described, it was just a moment that, that the chapter was able to seize and to say, here is an opportunity for us to make a real difference. And if you do go to the Black Lives Matter part of our website, you'll find so many different opportunities for continuing education. But uh, a couple of the areas... Um, that have been very powerful for me uh, was that one of my colleagues and longtime social work friends, Billy Jones, uh, who's a person of color, contacted me and said, I want you to co-facilitate with me as a person of privilege, uh, which was very humbling uh, because the work is very intimate and it's very, um, to be asked to be a partner in this work is really very powerful and a real privilege. And so we have um, worked together in the Racial Justice Forum to facilitate conversations with other colleagues from all over. And I think as Sam had described, we have people coming from all over the United States and in some of our programming, certainly with the revolution from other parts of the world, uh, to participate in it. And it's an opportunity, as Sam described, certainly for myself to be more aware um, as a person of privilege, uh, to hold back from participation in the conversation uh, that my presence and my listening is probably the most important thing in those moments. And that was informative and it has been extremely powerful uh, to take a breath and to really listen and to take some time, which is what we're expecting that other parts of, of the other parts of our country and other parts of our state even will engage in that work. Even for me personally, I'm a member of the Episcopal Diocese of New York, and we're doing racial justice work at looking at our own church and looking at slavery and how um, some of our members have participated in, in slavery. Some of our members have discovered in recent times mm-hmm. their family's relationship to that. And as Sam was also describing, within the social work profession, we've had to look at ourselves and to go through this process of really looking at our own history. Um, Because if we don't understand our own history, how are we going to tell other people or other professions or other, um, other groups how to do this work? You brought up a point and I'd like you to elaborate on that a little more for our listeners. Uh, And then Sam, you know, you can also jump in. Um, explain to, to listeners how, you know, we've heard the term, you know, white privilege in society as a whole. Can, can, can you make the connection between and explain how white privilege uh, manifests itself in the social work profession itself and then how we as a profession are addressing it and what has NASW uh, done to address it? So first, you know, how does white privilege show up in social work? It's a really good question, and even I've been practicing now for 20 years. It's a, it's all the, it's going back and looking at at my own history within the last 20 years. Professionally, what spaces in my education, 
were predominantly white mm-hmm. in terms of the courses I took and the professors I had, the student body that I was with, uh, the places that I was employed by, the hiring practices. Um, so those are just some examples of white privilege. Mm-hmm. But I think even, um, uh, you know, when, when you are called upon to, to, uh, to be the resource of the provider, I want that social worker over this social worker. Mm. Um, those sorts of things do happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and who gets called for what jobs or who gets interviewed for what jobs? Those things happen. Right. I think one of the things Sam has talked about is, you know, how do we, how do we begin application processes that remove either for schools of social work or for employment, where we remove some of the ra- racial um, injustices within the system. Understood. I see. Now, you, you know, the one of the things that in social work, and I, I call it, I don't know the exact name of it, it's uh, Social Work 101, or the, one of the very first courses that all of us had to take uh, when we started our social work master's program. Well, I know, I, you know, I started at the master's level. And they always talked about Jane Adams, Jane Adams, Jane Adams. And she did some wonderful things, absolutely. But never had any of my professors ever talked about Jane Adams and how she lent her voice to to racism. So, can either of you just touch on that? Because I think that is a part of you know white privilege that you know here we are you know celebrating someone who did a lot of wonderful things, and we call her the the mother of social work. But I'm just learning recently that she had a lot of racial tendencies. So can you both speak to why did I just learn about it now instead of learning about it, you know, when I first went to school to study social work, that Jane Addams did a lot of good things, but she had racist tendencies. So both of you, please address that for our listeners. Yes, I can start with this, Silas. And I also want to talk about your last question with with white privilege. Yes. So um, another way to say that is white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And when we say white supremacy, we're not... We're not saying white supremacist and talking about the KKK. What we're talking about with white supremacy is the world view, like that everything in our society is whitewashed. So, like when we talk about like what's considered normal, it's typically from the white standpoint and mm-hmm. like from from white culture. That's considered normal in our society. So when you ask how does white privilege show up in social work, it shows up in every part of social work, as does white supremacy. So when you're talking about Jane Addams, specifically, you're talking about the history of our profession. Well, every history we learn, starting in when we go to school, is always white history. We don't learn history from any standpoint but white history. So you mentioned I am Native. Now, I'm going to say I'm Native with full white privilege. It's important that I say that because no one, I've never faced racism because I look white, but I identify as Native. I learned my history through my tribe, through Mm -hmm. the elders in my tribe, because I certainly didn't learn it from the school I grew up in. Mm -hmm. There's about two sentences in the textbook about, you know, the Trail of Tears, and that's what people learn about the the Cherokee Nation. Um, And it's the same with several other, you know, communities. 
so everything is through this whitewashed lens. And the same with Jane Addams. So Jane Addams, you know, was doing community social work, but she was doing the community social work through the lens of a wealthy white woman. Mm. And not taking into consideration the the culture of other communities. And at the same time, there was Jane Addams. There were several black people doing social work, but we don't learn about them. And there's other communities that were doing social work. In fact, many communities of color have engaged in social work practices and community organizing for hundreds of years. But we didn't call it social work the, the way we called what Jane Addams did social work. And like at the same time, she was, you know, that Jane Addams was kind of on the scene. There was also George Haight, who, you know, got his doctorate from Columbia with sociology and social work, and who was doing social work and helped found the the, the uh, National Urban League, which is still active today, but we don't learn about him mm-hmm. in school and the work that he did. And the other black social workers from that time. So why would social work history be any different than any other history we learn? Good All point. the history we learn is through a white lens. Mm-hmm. And it's the same that we can change that, and that's part of what we're doing with the revolution. And you asked how, I, I want to address what Michael answered. You asked how does white privilege show up? And I said it shows up in everything. I want to give some examples of that. So even the interventions that we use are typically interventions from white people. They're studied on white people, and they don't take into consideration cultural considerations. Um, so, like... I know my community, I'll just speak for my community, the Native community, we have several interventions that heal our community and things that we do to heal our community, but they wouldn't be considered social work interventions, even though it brings healing to members of the community, because it's not like evidence-based or it hasn't been studied or whatever. It's not respected. And there's several other cultures who have the same thing, like that the the healing of the community exists already within the community, but it's not recognized. Mm -hmm. So as a professional, we need to start to look at that. We need to look at intervention and how do we start to recognize interventions that communities already use that brings healing to their people? And how do we legitimize those, those interventions? That's one thing. Then you can go into any system where there's social workers and how social work is being performed. So like the child welfare system. We know black and brown children are taken out of homes way over representative than white children. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, why are they being taken out of homes and at such a huge percentage? Um, I know back when I was in my undergrad over 20 years ago, there that 50% of the kids in foster care were black, but they only made up 13% of the population. Mm-hmm. That's a huge overrepresentation. So why are we taking so many black kids out of homes? And like, who's making that determination of, you know, what's abuse, what's not abuse, and all of that. So that's, that's how we know racism is in every single system and social workers are in every single system. So the good news about that is if we can revolutionize our profession and make it racially just, we can start to impact those other systems as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. 
Outstanding points. Michael, the whole concept of the education system of social work and how come I never heard about Whitney Young as a social worker? I mean, yes, I did hear about Whitney Young, um, you know, with the Urban League. Yes. But I didn't hear about Whitney Young as a social worker. I didn't hear about Dorothy Height as a social worker, pioneers who did great things. Um, so how did that happen? It's a rhetorical question, but um, just share your thoughts on, you know, why that would be. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very important question, and it's one that was referencing the revolution. This is a question that's coming up with students, mm. uh, you know, young students who are asking the same questions today. And the revolution is about us looking inward at our own curriculum. And some schools have made significant advancements, some have not. Mm -hmm. Um, Students are looking for other ways of getting that information. And so I think that it's not a a situation that that has been corrected even today. It is is something that is very much at the forefront of the work of, of the revolution of the profession, which is to say we have to look at models and people who had influence. I was also thinking, uh, Sam and I will have these conversations and it's a little back and forth, um, because, you know, just having an honest conversation about what each of our perspectives have been. And I was thinking even back about uh, privilege. One of the professors, um, one of our members who's pretty active, was talking about this work of undoing racism. Some of it has been hard conversations within our own communities, within our own families, um, and a number of social workers who, uh, you know, who embark on this profession, who come from families that do not encourage diversity or who have racist ideas, and how to begin to have influence to, to challenge those assumptions within the smaller context of our own families and our own small communities. Uh, that we're predominantly working within, really, and really having those hard conversations. Some people call them courageous conversations um, within the smaller within the within the smaller realm of where we live and work each day. And we hear that from some of the other parts of the state. We have social workers that are li- living in very conservative communities. Um, you were talking about politics a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I I also spend time in upstate New York, where the Trump flags continue to fly very high. Yes, and that is the reality in a, a large part of the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Downstate here in Suffolk state. County too, for sure. I that yes, that's, <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, Suffolk County as well. I remember being on the tip of Long Island at a boat marina and shocked with these, you know, million-dollar yachts with these humongous Trump flags. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a, it's a, and can we be in conversation, which is extremely challenging, um, to engage in a conversation about the politics that we've seen certainly over the last, even the last few weeks, mm-hmm. yes, and the impact that that's had and the divisions that. Um, have existed, but it's coming to the surface. I think in some of this work, uh, in the midst of this politics, in the midst of the protest, in the midst of the pandemic, we're seizing an opportunity to have these conversations, to lead these conversations. I think certainly as 
uh, as a chapter of social workers and our membership from a variety of different backgrounds who want to do this work, who are seeking guidance in how to do this work um, so that we can make some transformative progress in the, in the coming days. I wanted to share a little bit as well um, in terms of the pandemic. As you mentioned, I work for the New York City Department of Education. And since the pandemic started, I have been working fully remote um, mm. for the last year with the, with the same group uh, and different students, but basically the same group of students who have all been uh, at home working. They are wanting to go back to school. Yes. And they're just, there's fatigue with the pandemic. And certainly within New York City, for many of our students who don't get to leave their apartment, um, you know, the trip to school every day is so important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and we've tried to maintain as much interconnectedness as we can. And we've seen a great expansion of telehealth, um, of related services, counseling, social work services being able to be provided through remote platforms. And it's exciting, uh, both within New York State and also across the United States in, and also in rural communities all over have access to services and to serve communities that have been underserved in a, in the comfort of their own home on a remote platform um, is transformative. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things about social work in the, in the future is the use of remote platforms and the use of technology um, to also do this work. And people through the access of the internet in the three P's that you mentioned post-pandemic post time, we anticipate uh, the protests for racial justice and the politics um, to heal this nation is coming together, mm -hmm. we hope, and through the use of technology in positive ways. Absolutely. Um, and one thing I, I, I wanted to, you know, get both of you to touch on is, you know, from a political standpoint, we've seen that there's a lot of social workers that are being included in the new Biden administration um, and and social workers who get into the political realm, um, they, they bring an insight that that's very needed. Um, and now that um, various different administrative positions are being filled by professional social workers, uh, what do you um, both see as the impact of that? I mean, I can't call all the names off the top of my head, but I know there's been several positions filled in the Biden administration by um, professional social workers. So what effect do you guys see that uh, having on policies and, and initiatives going forward? We right? are very okay. lucky at the New York State chapter to have Jessica Mitchell as one of our members. Woohoo! is the political <laughs> social worker. Yes. yes. She's fantastic. Um, she is the chair of our PACE committee, which is political action for candidate election. Mm -hmm. And um, she's completely, you know, reformed that committee and uh, they endorsed over 20, 20 candidates in the last election. Yes. Um, and really what, what I feel like Jessica's brought to our chapter is this push to get social workers into politics. So she's done, just in the last year, she's, I think she's done two or three continuing education events. She's done two chapter chats. 
she's uh, her and the PACE committee are hosting a town hall on March 2nd. It's one of our social work events, free and open to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and where she's having people who social workers who are running for office uh, at that town hall talking about the process. Um, and I've learned a lot from her. The reason I'm talking about her is because I didn't know anything about this really until I met Jessica. And she has worked with me a lot at the chapter explaining the importance. And she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. She's like, we need more social workers in political offices because we're exactly trained for it. Yes. <laughs> we're trained to understand social problems and social policy. And we, we're the ones at the table who are like, this is how this policy actually impacts people. And we understand it from the micro, like how it impacts people, to the mezzo, to the macro. And we're trained that every social worker is trained for that. Whether we choose to work clinical, macro, or mezzo, we're all trained in policy and how to impact people. And um, we're actually having our first capital action day at the chapter tomorrow yes february Mm -hmm. um where our our whole goal is to get our members politically active Mm -hmm. so even if you don't want to run for office if you want to run for office we're going to introduce you to jessica absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's worked with every intern we have we or seven of our interns we have 10 she's worked with seven of them to get them ready to run for office um but yeah we send everyone to her but Um, Even if you're not running for office, we want you active as social workers. We want your elected officials to know who you are by name because you contact them so often to advocate for your clients and for your communities and for the social work profession. So this is one of the main changes at the chapter is to put the focus of our advocacy work on our members because... You know, we have 60,000 licensed social workers in the state. That's a really loud voice. So as social workers, we need to be politically engaged. I went a little over on your answer there, Silas. So I want to hand it over to Michael <laughs> to okay. fill in anything I missed. <laughs> no, I thought that was great. And certainly Jessica Mitchell, who's a professor at Stony Brook University and who has really teaches political social work, has brought so many student leaders uh, into our chapter. Yes, she has. <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, she... the other person I should we should also mention is Evelyn Williams, who has been our policy director and has also uh, been coordinating the Capital Action Day, which we're having tomorrow, um, which has also been really exciting. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think one of, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to shout out Evelyn, too, because and then I want to hand it back over to you about the shift. But, yeah, Evelyn, I begged Evelyn to come on because she's done this work. She got her MSW. She she won't hurt me for saying this, but she received her MSW in 1973 from Stony Brook. And so she's been doing community organi- organizing and, and specifically advocacy work uh, with legislators for decades. So... I want Michael to talk about how that's changed the the focus of the chapter and how we engage in advocacy. Yeah, I think we, we've all been extremely grateful to, to be in Evelyn's presence um, because she brings a keen awareness of the political atmosphere, um, but also it was a shift in encouraging greater 
um, involvement from the membership across the state in New York. And so really um, doing training with our members to go to their local offices, speak to their local politicians. And, you know, as Sam was saying, we want, we want local people to call the local office. And that's one of the great things about our membership. We're scattered in all over the state of New York and in each county to be able to, to be the voice of social work in the different parts of the state as we have legislative issues working their way through. And I think, you know, Evelyn's work combines both politics, but also the politics and the protests. Um, because she's also extremely involved with our racial justice work as well. Yes. And, you know, it's been a combination of things, I would say, Sam. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree, Michael. So, I didn't know if you wanted to add, add anything on to that. <laughs> um, I think you summed it up, like, beautifully, what Evelyn... I, we, we always say we sit at the feet of Evelyn and learn from her. Yeah. And we all do. She's a great spiritual leader. I think, you know, I, I, I do, I'm really, you know, admire her wisdom and her sense of justice, you know, and I think for, for all of us who entered the social work profession, you know, it's, it's for deeper meaning within our lives and in the communities that we live and serve in. Okay, so now in about another five or six days, we'll be embarking on March and every year in March, we celebrate Social Work Month. So... I know that the chapter has a lot of, you know, really dynamite and positive things uh, lined up. So educate our listeners a little bit. Okay, number one, about, you know, a little bit about the history of social work. And then I want you to talk about what the chapter has planned for Social Work Month and activities that are open to social workers, um, members, NASW members, non-members and social workers in general and the general public and the history of social work month, please. Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, Social work month has been around for quite a few years now. And uh, I remember when the national office first launched it, each year they have a different theme. Uh, This year, the theme is social workers are essential. Uh, And we've seen a lot in, in the media about essential workers. And so I think our national office and its wisdom you know, really promoted social workers as essential. And we do know that there are social workers that have um, continued to be on the front lines without disruption in medical settings, uh, mental health settings, doing child welfare, visits into people's homes, um, and they have continued to do that work throughout the entire pandemic. So Social Work Month this year, social workers are essential. Absolutely, absolutely. Different practice areas with individuals, families, groups, and communities. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the kickoff of Social Work Month. Mm-hmm. I love that, Michael, because I, I like that background. And Silas, you asked, like, what are we doing for Social Work Month? And again, I, I like to make all your questions hard questions for myself because the reality is, is we're treating every month like Social Work Month, right? <laughs> right now it's a chapter. So we have things constantly at the chapter. In fact, I had to leave an event to, to come to this interview because our, our comm committee put on a panel, a, a Q&A panel for social work students um, talking about mental health and being a social work student. It was phenomenal. And that was all the, the, the comm committee doing that. And I wanted to go and watch it, and I had to leave early to, to come to this interview. Um, so that 
the reason I mention that is because we are running every month like Social Work Month. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing and, and a little about what that looks like in, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so when COVID happened, one of the things we put in place immediately was what we call chapter chats. I've mentioned that a few times. Yes. Um, like over this conversation. The idea behind the chapter chats were this is a way for us to socially connect while we're physically distant. We're, we're a little corny, too, so we like to have little things with everything we do. <laughs> and um, it started off with every chapter chat was about COVID, and our board members were the ones who read it. And then it evolved, like everything, and now we have chapter chats on all sorts of topics and by our members. And these are open and free to all social workers. You don't have to be a member to come to these. Um, and our last one was actually last week, and it was Positive Disruption. And it was by Dr. Laura Queros, who wrote a book talking about race and social work. And she was talking about how social workers can positively disrupt their systems and structures. And that was an international event. We had, you know, people from Portugal, um, Canada, and, the, and Turkey. In uh, several other states. So the chapter chats open and free for everyone. We usually have two a month. Um, I know one of them for Social Work Month is Mitt Joyner, who is the president, the national president yes. of NASW right now. So she's going to come on and uh, talk about uh, the future of social work and what we're doing in social work. So that's one of our chapter chats. Um, I think believe our other chapter chat for March, we're doing a self-care event and having people uh, come in and do self-care with social workers. So I think that's going to involve some like meditation, some yoga, but it's, it's, we're thinking about as a gift for social workers for social work month. Um, We have also have um, continuing education programs. Um, these we have free CEs every month for our members, uh, the the New York State chapter members, and we have one CE event in March that's free for everyone at the end of the month. So that's again a, a gift for social workers, member or non-member, mm-hmm. um, and that's on military cultural humility. Mm. Uh, that CE event, um, we have a veterans grant and. Um, I actually, uh, in my, my previous work uh, at Albany, I also worked on a, a veterans grant there, uh, the, Dwy- the Joseph P. Dwyer um, Peer Support Program yes. Grant, and mm-hmm. I was one of the program evaluators. And so I had years of experience working on a veterans grant, and so one of the first things I wanted to do with this grant when I came in in September was to put together a a Veterans Advisory Committee. I'm a big believer in no decision about us without us. Mm, Again, I like that. <laughs> um, so, like, I wanted to make sure we got veterans who are clinicians on that advisory committee. And we have 16 members. 14 of them are veterans. Very diverse. We have um, women. We have people from um, different racial groups on there. And then several different er- eras of service. And then we also have a family member um, who her husband was a, a veteran and was deployed. And then we have um, 
we have a, a clinician who uh, is the host place for one of the Dwyer programs. And then we also have people who aren't social workers. So we have a, a veteran service officer, um, which uh, every county has a veteran service office. So he's a Vietnam veteran and he's on our our committee. So this committee chooses everything that we do for veterans. And they've really done a ton of work with this veterans grant. So we have uh, continuing education every month that's free and open. We have panels. We just had a family panel last week that's free and open for all social workers and other mental health providers. They have a book club. They have a listserv that's free and open to everyone um, where they troubleshoot issues with veterans all the time. And so one of the things we're doing for Social Work Month with that grant is we have a documentary filmmaker made a documentary about veterans with PTSD. And we're having a free movie screening of his documentary. And then him and Dr. Springer are going to come on and sit on a panel and do a Q&A afterwards. Wow. So that's happening, I think, the last day of March. I think that's March 31st. So uh, then we have specialty practice groups we've started. So the chapter, the, the board is really the direction of the chapters, the board of directors. And the board has several committees that report up to them. So that's one structure we have. The committees do a lot of the work. So that was a committee that I was talking about tonight doing the, the Q&A panel for the students. That was the comm committee. Um, the other thing that we've started in this last, really last four months is what we call specialty practice groups. So they're not committees. They don't report up to the board. But they're really just our members who are like, you know what? I want to talk to other social workers about X. And how can I do that? So our first specialty practice group was our private practitioners. So we have private practitioners that meet every month. Um, that's open to everyone. We just met last week, so we'll meet again in March. We have a specialty practice group uh, for people who work with older adults. Um, that meets about every month. Then we have a specialty practice group of, we call them seasoned social workers. They wanted to be called the gray-haired social workers <laughs> or older social workers who are retiring or getting ready to. But, but we came up with like an older social work peer support group um, and they meet every month. So we should have a meeting in March. Um, luckily, we have a calendar on our website so you can find all these events on our calendar on our website. Um, awesome. And then we have a new specialty practice group, uh, Rural Social Workers. So one of our members, uh, Martha, she's uh, up near Plattsburgh. She, she's like, I want to lead this Rural Social Work specialty practice group. And they just met last week for the first time. So those are different things that are free and open that people can come to and talk to people who have a similar practice to them. Um, I also want to talk about our This is Social Work project because it ties into Social Work Month a little bit. Yes. One of the things that I've heard uh, in my position here at NASW is people don't know what we do and like they don't know who we are. And I think that's kind of common because we do so much and our profession is so broad that it's hard to put into terms what we do as social workers. So that's something we've been working on. And one of the primary ways we're doing that is uh, the, a campaign called This is Social Work. One of our student interns came into this internship with the goal of doing this project. 
So she started back in September, and um, she has interviewed social workers from all over New York State and also a couple other states from a variety of practices that and put together a social media campaign. We have a commercial on it, and then it's also we have a web page on it with all these interviews. Silas is on there. Michael is on there. And it really shows the diversity of the profession. So when you go on that webpage, it'll say, like, Silas Kelly and that, you know, one of the things he does is media, like it's social work and media. Mm-hmm. And it'll say Michael Cappiello, school social worker. And so you can go in there and you can watch the interview from all these social workers from all these different practices. So we're going to be pushing that out a little bit more in March to kind of highlight specific social workers and what they do, Mm -hmm. uh, just so that we can help people learn how to talk about our profession. It's not a bad thing that we're broad. We can do lots of different things. And that's why we're in every system is because we have a broad profession. We just have to make sure we're telling people what we do. Yes. So we're doing that. Um, That will go out. And uh, that we will be sending out, actually, I know Amelia... Uh, Lochner Malave, she's our director of operations and development. She's working on email blast today, kind of highlighting all the free things people can do during social work month with our chapter. So we'll be sending that out on our social media and sending it to our members, like a very thorough list. But again, it doesn't look that much different than every other month. Mm, very good, very good. Yes, and the uh, I, I am social work campaign is very, very, very intriguing. I, you know, commend you know. Um, Miss, I think Kamaya is her first name. I always think I pronounced it wrong. Um, she did a phenomenal yeah, she she, Maya. Yeah, okay, Maya did a phenomenal job, and I think that's a great tribute to all of us in the profession and all the different things that we do. Um, and it should get um, as much publicity as possible um, all over the country so that people can get educated to know all the different things that we do. And uh, uh, anything you want to, anything else you want to add to that, Michael? Uh, the, the only other thing that I was going to just add is to uh, people listening to go to the national website, socialworkers.org, Social Work Month, and you'll find all kinds of uh, graphics that you can use on your social media, including going to, there'll be links to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, they've all been updated, so there's opportunities to like and link and post on all those different platforms, which makes Social Work Month a lot of fun, Yes. Um, in addition to all the resources that you'll find on our website. Okay, great, great. Thank you for sharing that. So I have to give a shout-out to our program coordinator, Shakira Maki. She has been with the chapter a year this week. We we. We're starting the celebration early and was, was talking about that today in our in our meetings and congratulating her for being with us for a year. Um, Shakira came in a year ago and took over the CE programming. And if, if you've noticed, like, you know, an improvement and everything we're doing, this is Shakira. She's just really phenomenal um, and at getting good CE speakers, raising the bar for our CE program. And the other thing she does, she does oversee our division. And the one thing she said when she came in, she said, we've got to have a student conference. Uh, she said, you know, she had just graduated. And she said that, you know, we, we get a lot from our schools of social work, but there's things we don't get that I really wish we would have had. So 
immediately she knew she wanted to head that up and she has led that she's the chair of the we have a committee she's the chair of it and um our two student board members have been a part of this and then i'd say the biggest help to shakira has been our interns so um she's worked every single week since September with the interns on this conference and they have done a phenomenal job they have done everything with the funding we had hoped to make it free with sponsorships um, we did make it free for a lot of students it's, it was always going to be free for our members our student members get to go for free no matter what we've had three schools sponsor it so their students get to go for free and then we had individual sponsors which Silas you were one of our individual sponsors and your contribution allowed um, several students to go for free. Awesome. Um, and then we had, you know, a, we were able to keep the fee low for people who had to pay. It's between like 25 and $35 for eight hours of content. So it's a full conference. We have three tracks. Um, one track is toward BSW students. One track is toward MSW students. And one is toward doctoral students. We have a session on ethics um, that's for everyone. We have a session on self-care that's for everyone. We have licensure with New York State. And um, one of the students, Olivia, put together the program today, and we we're looking through it. And I'm so happy with this program. The presenters, we, we talk about this racial re revolution, right, and revolutionizing the profession. One of the ways you do that is through representation. And going through that program made me so happy because it's such diversity within our presenters. And the students are in for such a treat. We've, we've got some phenomenal presenters coming on Friday. We are going to record it. Um, and we're, we're working on how we can offer that to people who can't come on Friday. So, you know, we know some people have to work or um, there's other things keeping them from engaging. So we want to offer it again for minimal, like what they minimal cost, what they miss, that they can watch it because um, these sessions are going to be really powerful, and I'm really excited. Again, all thanks goes to Shakira and the the committee that she put together. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, and uh, uh, what uh, role Michael the board take in uh, supporting this effort? The board has been. Uh, the, I should go back a little bit. The board of directors, um, you had asked in the beginning, is is a volunteer board that's made up of membership from all over the state of New York, and so ours is the is more of the governance, mm -hmm. and so we do have board members who have participated in the sponsorship. And I should also just do a shout out also to the entire team um, and the students who really rallied around this, and particularly Shakira who coordinated all of our continuing education and put together this student conference. Um, the board of directors is, what should I, what, I'm losing myself a little bit, Sam. The board is supportive of everything we do. I just want to say that. Yeah, they, um, they have. And I, I wanted to say, because I didn't really say this in the beginning, the way that the, the New York State chapter is made up of a board of directors that represents every part of the state, and among the board of directors, many of them are chairs of the committees that we've been talking about. And so they take leadership in terms of submitting to the, to the full board uh, committee reports, um, 
for board's consideration for action. So the board is a voting board and the governance board. And so our role is to receive reports from all these different committees of which we are also active members of. Um, and so one of the things about the board of directors is that they put forward a recommendation for greater leadership um, from students. And so I think one of the exciting things that we've seen is that our students uh, who are board members are taking real active initiatives to form committees, to present policy, to push the board for greater action. Um, so it's, it really is a participation um, with the board, with the staff, with the larger membership. And as Sam was saying, we also open a lot of things up to students for free. And we're expanding our outreach for students uh, continuously. And they're probably the largest group of new members have become from the universities and from our student leaders. Um, and they are the future of this organization. Absolutely. And they're really taking on tremendous leadership, uh, certainly over the last couple of years in ways that we just never imagined. Um, and it's been very, very exciting to see the number of of universities that have also been encouraging this, and also uh, the professors who have endorsed NASW, who encourage membership in the organization, and encourage a greater collaboration between uh, the schools of social work and NASW, but in particular the students, um, by using the organization for mentorship, uh, for continuing education, and for professional identity, both as a student and in the years to come. Yes, very well put, very well put. One more thing, Silas, I just want to add to what Michael was saying that I'm glad you said that, Michael, and you went back a little bit because we work in tandem together. So uh, there's some things, they they are the governance, and then there's some things that I'm responsible for. There's some things the board is responsible for. Um, again, going back to that Native culture, I don't make um, decisions in a vacuum ever, ever at the chapter so there are a lot of things that might be considered you know under my my decision making at the chapter but i always run it by the board i always run what i'm doing by the board because they're experts they're experts in their area they have perspectives i haven't thought about like i want to know what their thoughts are on it and everything and so we work very closely together. Like I said at the beginning, Michael and I meet every week and then we're in communication in between those meetings. It's a, it's a close working relationship. And um, I did want to give a shout out to Laura eastman Fallis, who is the chair of the program committee and she's also a division director. And so, yeah, like it's the board, is, I think it's kind of hard to understand that we really do. We meet quarterly all together. And during that meeting, I tell them everything we're doing and get feedback. <laughs> and in between the meetings, I'm meeting with Michael, and and then sometimes he reaches out to other board members. So we really do work together to run the chapter. Awesome, awesome. awesome. And I think I, what I would add to that is um, we, we operate on a committee structure. So the committees, uh, which are made up of members from all over the state of New York, um, including our advocacy and government relations, which works closely with our policy team um, in the chapter office. 
And then what we've been doing in recent time is to bring the chairs of all the committees together to meet with each other and to share what they've been working on before the reports go to the board. And mm -hmm. so it's an opportunity for committee chairs um, to gather um, and then for the full board to gather and to hear their reports, uh, sometimes which are just written, sometimes which are oral, sometimes we have special presentations. And so it's really to, to collaborate with each other and to cross-share uh, within the committee structure different things that are happening uh, in each committee and how they can have mutual support. Um, and then if there are things that need to a board vote on, uh, the presentation is made to the board and the board will take a vote and an action towards any significant policy changes or endorsements. So it's quite a, uh, a vibrant and active community uh, that we have this participation with from all over New York State. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I think that um, you both have given a real great overview of the state of the chapter and from where I'm sitting and I'm sure from where all of us sitting in the New York State chapter of uh, the chapter is in a really good place in a good space thanks to the, both of your leaderships and so I want to thank you both for participating in this uh, Social Work Month special you've shared a wealth of information uh, you've been very insightful and informative um, and so thank you both um, and I'm going, we're going to wrap it up here um, this is Silas your e-journalism social work advocate uh, you've been listening to a uh, social work special for the Kelston on the Air Social Work Podcast. My two special guests have been uh, Executive Director of the New York State Chapter, Dr. Samantha Fletcher, and Board President of the National Association of Social Workers, NASW, New York State Chapter, Mr. Michael Capiello. And thank you both for being such wonderful guests. Um, and we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.